Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I make my own rules, one Bonko party at a time. I write history and I read celebrities. I am JMZ. Life is a classroom and I'm here to teach. Welcome back to part two of our episode with Jason Herbert. You're here with me, Casey. Dr. Jane Mill, the millionaires. Max Spear, nothing's changed. <laughs> so this season, we decided to shake things up a little bit. And each episode, we're really splitting into two episodes. Uh, this allows for more historians on Housewives all the time. And you know me and how I love a game. And Jessica is so up on celebrity everything all the time that we realized we also needed to have a new segment to allow us to indulge the things that we like without getting sued without getting sued so this was the other reason we needed to split things (laughs) 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 this is the other reason we had to split episodes into two because we decided to create a new segment called allegedly Now, what do we do in Allegedly? We ask questions like, was that Kelly relieving himself or was that him playing with his mouth going? (laughs) Allegedly, he was making brownies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Except we do that with much more interesting, uh, heavy hitting. uh, Celebrities. Celebrity gossip. Bravo, celebrities. Allegedly allows us to spin and to speculate and to just assume the worst of Bravo liberties, right? Without getting sued. We found, especially in first season, we were talking about um, possibilities of like what housewives were doing. We just imagined we were there in the room. Yeah understanding their motivations and we kept saying allegedly because it's libel right to like (laughs) if you don't say that uh so now we turned it into a game yeah a whole new segment so the second half of our show we are going to be speaking to jason about uh, movies hollywood different images and what everyone's watching during covid 
And unfortunately, we lost Chadwick Boseman on August 28th. And here was a person who was very conscious about the kind of roles that he took. He said that he would never play a slave. He left all my children when they were going to give him parents on the show that were addicts. He was very, very committed as an actor and as a person to exemplifying the best in not just African America, but in people in general. So rest in peace to our king of Wakanda. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, Jessica. And now, here's the exciting conclusion of last week's Bonco Party Game Break, an interview with Jason Herbert on Historians on Housewives. Okay, so our last question in our Bonco Party Game Break. According to Rotten Tomatoes, as of uh, 2020, what was the highest grossing film ever made? And again, bonus points. If you get something else. So right, the, fir- the very first question of the movie section was what was the most expensive. Now we're talking about what made the most. Oh, grossing. Oh, grossing. Oh. That's easy. That's Endgame. Okay. I'm going to say Endgame. I, I agree. I think it's Endgame. But, I'm but would you and Jessica have locked in Endgame if Jason didn't have so much confidence? Probably not. Probably not. I, I was know- already thinking about... Um, saying Gone with the Wind again, because I know that, like, Gone with the Wind made a serious amount of money per capita at the time that it came out. Wait a minute. What about Wakanda? What about Wakanda? What about Black Panther? As high as grossing? Yes. You gave me a moment to pause, because you said, would you do that if Jason didn't agree? What about, what about Black Panther? Okay. Does anybody else want to lock in a second choice? Or is like another Infinity War? Okay. Uh, Jason, how many many can you actually pull out of the top 10? I just want to see. Can I pull out the top 10? Yeah. Adjusted for inflation? Yeah. All right. Uh, Let's go with with, uh, Infinity War and Endgame, Avatar, Star Wars A New Hope. Um, I want to say Adjusted for Inflation, uh, Black... Panther is up there. Jurassic, your first Jurassic Park, perhaps. Um, Titanic. Titanic got to be in there. Titanic, yeah, Titanic definitely. Um, which we've never shown on HBO. Yeah. Oh, really? oh, that might. Ooh, below below deck. Jessica, there's a lot we could do with Titanic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to leave yeah. this episode definitely as a cliffhanger of, like, what will <laughs> what, what are we going to scream? <laughs> Jessica is not what happy. Is yeah, I'm not happy about that. What is the answer to the question? And I'm like, oh, it's not even resonating in my soul. I don't care about it, the woman on the little raft and why she pushed Jack off. I've never seen it. You've never You've seen never Titanic? Seen I've seen bits of it. I'm king of the world! Yeah, I know the annoying parts, but you know, it's like it's. it's I remember when he when Cameron won, and he comes in and he does what he does. The, I'm yeah. the and it was like really. I mean, yeah, um, you know, Titanic is this is this film that I just could not get myself to watch. It's like one of those things. It's like, and then it became like you, you know, you talk to those people who've never seen Star Wars, and you're like, you never seen Star Wars? What's wrong with you? And I right. feel that way. My like, I'll watch it. Eventually, but it's kind of, it'll have to be the moment where it's like, oh, it's on Netflix. Now is the time. 
I right. feel like this, oh yeah this just became I'm ideologically opposed to, to Titanic yeah but it's like working out like I, I am not opposed to working out but I'm never going to go out of my way to work out at this point <laughs> Yeah, I feel like this just became uh, like an H on H confessional. <laughs> yeah, what was the answer? I'm so irritated with Titanic being even mentioned in a. You need to respond to this. <laughs> okay, so Jessica, your hunch on Black Panther? It's number twelve. So it was close. Eleven, Age of Ultron. Ten, Frozen Two. Nine. Oh, we forgot Disney. Nine, Fast and Furious. Seven. How could I forget Fast and Furious? The movie in which they started off stealing VHS players. (laughs) (laughs) I am confident. I mean, I don't even necessarily like a gentleman who's blonde with blue eyes, but come on. See, I don't think it would have been. It's Fast and Furious number seven. So it's Furious seven. So it's like well after Paul Walker. Yeah, he would have been gone. Yeah. Uh, eight, Marvel's The Avengers. Okay. Seven, The Lion King. The Lion King. Uh, the, 90, 1994 version. the 2019 version. Oh, really? Oh. Well, that wasn't a repeat. People didn't go back twice. That was first-time viewers. That was money wasn't made on repeats because no one liked that. Six, Interesting. Jurassic World. Okay. And like even looking at the like the movie poster that they put in Rotten Tomatoes makes me like have a bit of anxiety because it's that big shark fish eating another big shark fish. And like I just I like I'm having a moment. Okay. Is Jaws on this list? No. Oh. Five is Infinity War. Four, Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. That makes sense. Three, Titanic. Two, Avatar, and number one, Endgame. So I feel like Jason really swept. <laughs> Dominated. Yes. It would have been so embarrassing if he didn't. That would have been so embarrassing. Yeah, I was, I was, I was sweating bullets in my cargo shorts over here. Yeah, like your brand would have been totally. I mean, it would have been devastating. So give me one second but- to uh, calculate the final tally, so we can award first, second, third. I'm sure people are on the edges of their seat for like where I'm gonna come in. At. in the there's second four or five traffic that really doesn't have traffic right now. They're just just stuck waiting, waiting for the answer to who won this game. Well, Jessica, you did not come in third place this time. Congrats. <laughs> How badly did I lose? <laughs> In third place today, we have Max with 10 points. In second place, we have Jessica with 13 points. Proud of myself. And in first place, we have Jason with 15 points. And we're going to come back to the podcast. Uh, And Jessica, lead us in. Okay, well, this is probably not that exciting way to lead it in, but we're going to talk about your actual dissertation work. Sure. Remember that? We also are, are also actually scholars in the field. Mm-hmm. This is a complete nerdy question. Sure. Okay, completely. So Lorena Walsh, uh, historian of colonial America, did an essay years ago about colonial America and their beef pattern. 
mm-hmm. right? And I found this fascinating. She had she cataloged how people were eating. She she talked about what this meant about how many cattle must have been on the farm. It was of course entitled "Where's the Beef?" Hardy har har. So based on your work, what can you tell us about what cows have to do with the environmental, social, political, and economic transformations in indigenous Florida? Well, not to oversell it, but they were responsible for the entire transformation of indigenous Florida in the uh, 17th and 18th century. Um, So cattle change everything. And really, the first thing you need to do is go back and actually talk to modern members, contemporary members of the Seminole tribe of Florida who will tell you just how important this animal is, not only to the tribe's integrity. Right now, the, the tribe itself possesses over 10,000 heads of beef. They're the fourth largest cow-calf operation in the state of Florida and the 12th largest cow-calf operation in the entire country. Seminole tribe of Florida is a massive beef producer. Um, and when you talk to tribal members today, tribal ranchers today, they'll tell you just how important this animal is. Um, these animals were obviously introduced. Uh, Virginia to John Anderson wrote this terrific book years ago called Creatures of Empire, right? They really introduced these animals as these colonial agents, as the Spanish came in, the English and the French. They all brought with them uh, animals from their old lands to try to reproduce these, these new Europes. And Seminole Indians, just like other Indians uh, elsewhere in uh, North and South and Central America, quickly took to these animals and made them their own for their own efforts. Um, and we often tend to think about horses on the plains. Take a Hyman Lennon's book, Comanche Empire, really spells this out. Brian DeLay's War of a Thousand Deserts, so forth. Other, other studies have come out. But in Florida, uh, the Indians who lived here in Florida, specifically um, uh, the Indians who come to, come to be known as Seminoles eventually, really gravitate towards this animal. And these animals are responsible, really, for the tribe's integrity uh, in a lot of ways in the late 18th century and throughout the early 19th centuries, as you've got all these other European, Euro-American empires just kind of trying to collapse in around them, be it the Spanish or the Americans or the British or the French and so forth. And the tribe's um, mastery of this animal is what allows them in a lot of ways to fend off uh, this European aggression to establish their own borders, to establish economic ties, and become real players in the Atlantic Exchange. You know, when you talk about Florida, one of the amazing things that to talk about is how Florida is not is, is really it's just two places at once. It's not just uh, the Southeast North America; it's also part of the Greater Caribbean. And this animal, right, the seminal mastery of cow herding, of cow of cattle economics, allows them to be real players that really scared. Uh, the, Semin- uh, the Spanish uh, and the Americans into the um, uh, into the 19th century. So that's really what I'm talking about is how Seminoles, right? Florida Indians. You know, in North America, the first cowboys were Indians, and here they're Florida, Indians, uh, and their sovereignty was written on rawhide. You know, so showing that this animal is key to the integrity of the Seminole tribe of Florida in that time period is really what I'm trying to uh, demonstrate. I want you to go back because that is just, um, Casey knows I'm always trying to make my uh, classes more interesting. I want you to go back where you talked about Indians being the first cowboys. Yeah. You understand that that will just fundamentally change how students understand everything. Sure. I mean, what happens when you talk about that? Well, you know, the amazing thing is, is that 
you know, when you look at, say, a Florida high school textbook, uh, there in which blew my mind because the Florida high school textbook takes very takes a lot of pride in this idea of these cracker um, cowboys in Florida, these poor whites who live in Florida. Similar um, Florida high school textbooks say the animals were introduced by the Spanish, and then and then it skips immediately to the Americans in the antebellum period to talk about how they uh, raise these animals. In fact, there's a classic book here in Florida that's taught. It's a novel, but it's taught as a de facto history called A Land Remembered, and it kind of paints this glorious path of this settler colonial path uh, past in Florida. But what we see in Florida is that it's really a land misremembered because it was native people who formed the economic backbone. First of the Spanish missions, when the Spanish came in, they established these missions and ranches to help the colony survive. There weren't that many Spanish people here. Spain, Spain didn't have that much uh, authority. It was native labor who made these missions and these ranches economically viable. It was, they, they were made of cowboys long time before you had the Marlboro man stalking around Texas. Um, and those traditions, right, get passed down really from what is initially Tamuqua and Appalachie uh, cowboys, for lack of a better term, to eventually uh, to the modern day Seminoles. And if you go to the reservation today, all it takes is going to to, to the Seminole website, and they'll tell you how important cattle are to their uh, are to their traditions. And it's amazing to me uh, as I got into here. First of all, how available a lot of these resources are, because the Seminole Tribe of Florida tribal members will tell you just how important this is to their history, but also how that never got translated by a lot of historians when we start talking about the history of agriculture, the history of ranching. Um, and really, in a lot of ways, when we think about the West, I tend to think about Florida as really the first West. Because when we think about like American processes, we're gonna, if we're going to talk about an American story for a second, uh, of displacement of Native peoples and the role of cattle and horses playing all of that uh, in, say, the 1850s, 60s, 70s, 80s, um, a lot of those processes happen in Florida first. Uh, but to double back, this has always been an indigenous story. My dissertation and the first manuscript uh, will focus in on indigenous people, drawing from indigenous uh, traditions, drawing from the stories that uh, modern tribal members have been gracious enough to share with me, their feelings towards uh, their history and their experiences, and backed up by uh, the archival record. Oh, I love it. So I love it. So how did you become the ethnographer for the Seminole Tribe of Florida? And for our listeners who may not know what that is, could you explain what ethnography does? Sure. Um, So right now what's going on down here in Florida is that the Army Corps of Engineers is in in the midst of a massive uh, restoration project in the Everglades called uh, Comprehensive uh, Everglades Restoration Project. Um, And here's the reality of South Florida, is that Native people, the Seminole Tribe of Florida, are the oldest custodians of the land. They have been been here in Florida uh, since time immemorial. And the Seminole Tribe of Florida has has been trying to work with the Army Corps engineers saying, look, we want to be your partners in this because the reality is this. You cannot have 
the Everglades without the Seminole Tribe of Florida. And you can't have the Seminole Tribe of Florida without the Everglades. The two are linked. What happens to one happens to the other. And because of this, if you're going to do Everglades restoration, if you're going to do Everglades conservation, the best thing you can do is talk to the oldest caretakers. So the tribe is really wanting to uh, have their voice heard, and I think rightfully so in doing so. So uh, the big part of how I am assisting, I'm serving the tribe in this matter, is the Army Army Corps of Engineers said, yeah, you're absolutely right. We haven't been doing a good enough job listening. Uh, We'd like to hear, have your input, but we don't no. Um, so the tribe has uh, has uh, asked me uh, graciously and honored me with this, with this position to write a cultural history of the Everglades. Um, and ultimately what I am doing is not so much writing, but trying to um, amplify Native voices and Native stories here of what, of how uh, Seminoles and their ancestors have lived here in the Everglades. Uh, their concerns about how it should be managed and plans for the future. So um, as an ethnographer, that's what I'm trying to do. I am trying to marshal a lot of different stories and traditions, uh, either from the archival record, uh, but also with interviews with contemporary, you know, uh, tribal members. Because the reality is this, uh, Seminole people are never going to leave Florida, right? The Seminole Tribe of Florida is going to be here. They have always been here. They're never going to leave. And getting to at least tell part of that story is like, uh, well, it's 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 an honor that I I never anticipated happening. Cool, excellent. The best thing about writing history is when, well, ethnographies or anthropologies. You know, historians rarely have the chance to interact with with actual people. So the best thing is if people within that group can does support you and and does believe in your work. Um, many of you scholars are too young to remember uh, the controversy about Ramon Gutierrez when Jesus came, the corn mothers went away. Um, yeah, just hashtag that for the students that are actually listening, the grad students and early scholars that might, uh, scholars earlier in their career, you never want to be in that position. You never want to be in that position where your authenticity or your research is questioned. So it's very encouraging to hear that they, uh, that the Seminoles um, have invited you in. So sorry, we got a little nerdy for a moment. Um, and I could stay on the early America train indefinitely. Well, there wasn't train, uh, trains, but um, let me switch again. Let's go to our fun, lightheartedness. We're switching back to movies. We're switching back to Hollywood. Come out from colonial America. Now, you know, we're in Hollywood. So who is your favorite actor or actress? Oh, boy, that's tough, right? For the longest time, it had to be Harrison Ford growing up, right? As a, as a child of Star Wars, Indiana Jones. Um, he's got, he had to be. Uh, and then as I went through my uh, LA, I love LA Confidential. It's one of my five favorite films. Uh, so Russell Crowe had this amazing run, right, between LA Confidential, Perfect Mon, Master Commander, Gladiator, so forth, uh, as an actor. Um, today, I would probably be inclined to say Daniel Day-Lewis, just because I find his depictions to be, I mean, his role of Bill the Butcher in... Gangs in New York is one of the most delicious things I've ever seen on screen. He's just amazing. Uh, so I would say him, uh, possibly Denzel uh, Washington. Is, when, I, when I would say that, in my mind, the two uh, 
my two favorite actors, people that I would just kind of stop to watch most anything, it would probably either be Daniel Day-Lewis or Denzel Washington. Um, I, I think that both men are phenomenal, but I mean, you could make this list as, you know, as, as long as you wanted to. Um, I, you know, uh, th- those would probably be my two favorite, but I mean, Meryl Streep, I mean, you watch her in anything. She just transforms, uh, you know, I remember watching Julie and Julia and I, the thing about Meryl Streep is you forget you're watching her. Right. You just forget you're, and they, Daniel Day lose it. You, you just forget you're watching the person. So, well, one of those three would probably be my, uh, would, would probably be my, my top. Those would definitely be, be my top three. Have you seen John David Washington, Denzel's son? He was in Black Klansman. He was on Ballers on HBO. He was yeah, on- I am anxiously awaiting Tenet to come out. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, Christopher, it's got that real inception-y feel to the film. I think John David Washington is about to blow up. Oh, um, you know, speaking of that, another actor that I really like as well, including uh, John David Washington, Adam Driver, who is in Black Lantern. I think he can do anything. I think Adam Driver, I've warmed up to him. He's, he's, he's a real force. He's got the skills, real and skills. He's not Kyle Rand as well, is he? He is, he is. Oh, yeah. That, that was that time. He's a real force. And then I was like, but isn't he Darth Vader? Oh, you know, he can do, you know, the range, you know, just like the other actors we're talking about. It's just out of, you know, it's out of control. You know, most people were exposed to him via girls. Uh Um, But you see his, you see his comedic stuff. You see his uh, romantic stuff. Um, You know, um, so I think that, you know, A Marriage Story, he got really amazing reviews and he's done a lot of great stuff. I think that with him, he's a guy that we're going to watch for a very long time. Okay, cool. I mean, you know, when I watched Girls and, you know, everyone had some kind of affair with him and then I then watched Star Wars, it it didn't click for me. Yeah. Watching the Black Klansman, I was able to go back and watch Star Wars movies with a little bit more appreciation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and also he killed his father in Star Wars. I, I don't have time for that, but I feel like the very end of that movie, the very end of the prequel, yeah. like that kind of scene where he dies and his connection, yeah. uh, connection he met with uh, with Ray. I mean, I think that was just beautiful. Um, yeah. Okay, n- this is another. This is kind of a Bravo adjacent. I'm making the stretch because it rela- it still relates to movies and acting. Um, James Lipton, you know, uh, from inside the actor's studio, passed away, and we have we have never quite recovered. Uh, I I think inside the actor's studio was one of the best television shows okay. like ever, like ever. So if James, so this is a kind of play on the kind of things he would say and the Proust questionnaire that he would use. If James Lipton met you at the pearly gates, what would you say? Please. <laughs> What do you think he would say to you? In flip, what would he say to you? Absolutely not. Get down where you belong. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I wanted to put James in there. No, actually, my favorite James Lipton uh, moment is it, when you, it's well publicized. I think I think that Robert De Niro was the guest, and then Bradley Cooper was like one of the actors in the audience who yes. asked him. And you go back and watch, and just like you know, go watch, you know. Is the Silver Lines playbook? They're they're in it together. I forget. Mm-hmm. It's just like this super meta thing. Just oh my gosh! Uh, and obviously, you know, both of those men are incredibly talented guys. So uh, yeah, I loved watching Lipton. He was just this great. I mean, the show was just great. I loved it. 
So yeah, you know, I think they have a new co-host. Wasn't Kathy? Someone was the new co-host, like Kathy. Kathy. Uh, Griffin, the comedian, is that her name? Kathy Griffin? I would not want to follow his footsteps. I'd want to be the person who followed who followed him. It would be a hard job for anyone, but what I did watch, I said, maybe we just need to let it rest for a minute. And uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, if anything, Will Ferrell as James Lipton would be fun. Oh, that would be funny. Remember, the ep- that would be funny. Let me think about it. That would be really funny. You know, the episode where Dave Chappelle was on and they had a dancing contest? I don't know if anyone saw this. And oh, so, yeah. so Dave did something, and James Lipton did something he never did. Really, he stood up, he tucked this, he tucked his little, you know, he grabbed his little uh, vest and looked at Dave and said, "Basically, you don't know who you're fucking with." That was one of those best TV moments, too. I mean, so anyway, I just had to bring that in. Uh, rest, rest in power, James Lipton. Um, I soul talked a lot. I'm just going to sit back now. I've so enjoyed this this conversation. I'm just happy to be here. We're having fun. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Um, moving. I still, don't, I still don't know the baking powder, baking powder thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> this will be one of the mysteries of the universe. But now you'll never forget that it's like one love leavens twice. <laughs> just one pecan pie is all I want. <laughs> um, so turning this has sort of become like a new segment for us talking about how guests are coping with. Uh, the COVID sure. pandemic. Um, and, and so as a grad student and a, and a dad juggling a very sudden shift um, in work-life balance, I'm, I'm curious to know what have you been doing to cope? You know, the most difficult thing for me with this is that uh, I have my, my partner, my girlfriend, who I met on Twitter of all places uh, in this, incredible crazy world who I'm just madly madly in love with um lives in Denver and I'm here in Florida and the hardest part of all of this is the fact that we are trying to do our part to keep COVID the spread of it down and that means making some real decisions so I haven't seen her since uh since February so in almost five months and realistically it's going to be a few more months before at least before I can see her again so the most difficult aspect of that is not being able to see Natalie right now. That's that's the top, that's for me. That's the tough part. I mean, obviously, the, there's difficult parts in hearing that people have lost family members or friends or things like that. Obviously, um, but on a personal level, it's a thing that she and I just decided we were going to do. It's it's just you know not all people will do that, uh, but that's been the most difficult part. Um, in some ways, COVID has. Uh, and I, I'm hesitant to say this, but allowed me to see my kids more. My 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 two boys live uh, split time between myself and my ex-wife, who's this amazing uh, woman in her own right. She's a terrific mom, but she lives two hours away. And um, so, prior to this, what would happen is the boys, my boys, would come over to me on the weekends and so forth. But now with COVID, you know, since March, we've had an alternating week on, week off. She's an attorney. She needs to be able to think. I need to be able to think over as well. So the, it's actually been very good. So this whole time we've been talking, I can hear my boys watching Star Wars in the background. Uh, and I get to play with my guys and so forth. So um, that's, you know, in a lot of ways, that's trying to make the most of this as, as best I could, which meant that in the case of COVID, which is ter- terrible, 
I'm trying to find some good in it, which is which means that I can be with my boys even more. Um, it's tough though, you know. You get up. My first priority in life is always going to be my children. Thankfully, they're in the age right now where they're eight and twelve, and they want to sleep till forever, so that's okay. Um, but I'm also in the position right now. The difficult part is, you know, everything is shut down. But as an academic, I can kind of do my work here from the house. So I get up, I work from eight till six, eight till seven, sometimes later. You know, as a scholar, you just kind of work until your until your brain turns off. Sometimes it turns off at two p.m. in the afternoon. Sometimes it never turns on. You right. know, but when it's on, you kind of ride that roller coaster as long as it goes. You know, when you when you feel the need that you can write, when you feel like you can write, you you write. And you understand that it's not always going to be that way. Some days you just can't get it done. You understand that's just part of the process. Um, so we just try to limit our exposure as best we can. We wear our masks everywhere we go. I try to limit. We I, I do go to, we've got a grocery store, Publix across the street that I go to, but that's pretty much it. Um, it's difficult because the only person I've really seen very much uh, is actually uh, my, uh, my ex-wife <laughs> of all people, whatever we try, whatever we try, try and she and I laugh about this, but that, that's really the only person I, uh, I've had much contact with other than my two children. I'd love to go home. I, I've got a grandfather who's 86 years old. He's in Kentucky. And I'm terrified of that phone call one day that I'm going to get from my mom. It's going to rock my world, but I also can't drive back home. I also can't drive back home to see him. So it's, you know, like most everybody else, it's about making wise choices that you think are in benefit of the whole community. Um, my work, frankly, hasn't suffered that much just because I've been able to put my head down and do And, and this is what I know right now. I don't have anybody else here other than my cat who's named after Blackbeard. So um, <laughs> I don't have a lot of distractions. I just, I just do the work and hopefully one day this thing will change. Nerd question now. Is the cat named Blackbeard or Edward Teach? Edward Batch, one of the aliases. Oh, um, I'm glad I asked because that would have bothered me. (laughs) No, um, his his name, I call him Edward. Uh, I didn't want him. I didn't want another cat. My dear departed Nunu left us a few years ago. Uh, But last year, as I was moving into this place, I saw on the Indian Society a cat named Edward Batch. I happened to have Blackbeard's flag tattooed on my left arm here. Sweet. and it seemed to be a um, seemed seemed to be a sign. So, and also, uh, it made the home made the house more like a home for my two boys. So, Edward is napping about twelve feet away from me on one of my chairs. So, has um, COVID uh, changed your TV viewing um, experience? Has it taken on a new ex- uh, significance? Has historians of the movie taken on a new significance because of all this? Well, a bit. Yeah, I think so. In the regard that um, certainly there's no sporting events, you know, people can't watch the game right now. Uh, and certainly earlier in the in this thing back in uh, March and April, we actually ran we were running HATM three times a week, uh, like Wednesdays, Saturdays and Sundays. And then I just couldn't contain it anymore. I was exhausted, you know. Building HATM to where we've got it now, where there are, we've got HATM on three different continents. We've got HATM, HATM AUS, which is in Australia, and HATM UK. So, you know, there are three different, and I'm trying to run HATM and then roughly just kind of keep an eye on the other two, on the other two chapters because uh, people down in Australia and in the UK are phenomenal kind of scholars who are doing awesome stuff with those branches. Uh, but I tried to make it a little bit more available so people had something else to do. But frankly, um, 
just showing it once per week is exhausting for me. Um, I don't get a chance to watch the game on cable in years um, because you know that when you're dissertating, you just don't have a lot of other time. Sometimes, as much time as I devote to HATM, I don't want to watch a lot of other TV. Frankly, it's just it, the thing that uh, my partner Natalie and I do is we watch a lot of documentaries on like the Patagonia website um, <laughs> yes. about dam building, fisheries, uh, any number of things where we both are outdoors people. So she and I like to watch a lot of that. This is a way to like. We can't actually get outdoors. At least Patagonia is making it available online. So um, that's what we that's what we do. But um, it hasn't really changed me a whole lot because I kind of cut the cable um, a few years ago. And now, whenever I go to a friend's house who has it, I find myself looking at a remote like, "What? What is this? What the? What do you do?" Yeah. So so <laughs> so, what's your top pandemic recommendation then? Of any either film or if this is um, chasing giants, like what? Or like is, if you have a series you've gotten into a series, like if you if you want the audience to leave with one recommendation, and me because I love watching TV and movies, um, what is one thing you want to leave us with? Okay, so actually, there's this great show. I was I was going to tell you Riding Giants, which is my favorite film. Right. Writing amazing. Don't yeah. watch writing time. It's amazing. It's beautiful soundtrack. I'm probably going to watch it. Tonight. Um, <laughs> now found, um, this great short documentary series on, on Amazon prime called V is for Vino, which is with this guy. He's a younger guy, early thirties. Um, who's a sommelier, but he's kind of taking us through wine in a way that is fun. Um, a little bit nerdy, but super inviting. So I would tell you that or the chef show, which uh, Natalie and I watch religiously uh, with John Favreau. Um, we just, uh, that's on Netflix. We, we watch lots of cooking and wine shows. So I would tell you either Vias for Vino or the chef show, because there's always time to watch cooking or, or wine. Have, have you seen um, the Psalm series? Oh, we we started to watch some of that. I think. Oh, you. So, oh, you need to finish the Psalm series. Psalm one is a masterpiece unto itself. Um, Psalm, yeah, the resummoning Psalm two is like <laughs> they're they're all really different movies, but the first Psalm in particular, and the third one to a lesser extent, is really a case study. In like, especially as like an ethnographer, this is right up your alley of like, uh, of a gr- like a study of a group of people going through a challenge and like their development as sommeliers. It's it's uh, despite what I like my lack of wine knowledge, I am such a fan of the Psalm series. Oh, that was that was the show. I I want to say. That was a, we watched a film. I think it was that one where it was focused on like three or four guys who were trying to go up for their master sommelier. Yes. yes. Yeah. Tense. And yeah. like the guys who won, you were totally shocked at who won and who did, who, who, or who got the, uh, who, who passed and who didn't. Yeah. But yeah. Well, that's been fun to see the second and the third come out to still kind of track some of these people, but what always, oh, yeah. I don't know the other ones. but what always strikes me about this is what it says about, colonialism and empire 
right? And the spread of wine grapes at the same time. And it like, I cringe every single time. They're like, well, this is an old world wine or this is a new world wine. Mm. And I just like, the historian in me is just like, and this is going to be a problem for me. (laughs) And the way that they talk about like the history of wine as being like, like, like they use wine to talk about history, but they talk about everything except like the elephant in the room for most historians, which is like settler colonialism. Yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say, Jason? Oh yeah, no, totally. Uh, because my favorite grape is Malbec, right? I want to talk about mm-hmm. Argentina yeah. all day long. Yeah. yeah. So I just, and Max and I come back to the Psalm movies all the time. It's like a guilty pleasure, even though we try to say we don't have guilty pleasure viewing, but um, we I always, I always get a lot out of each new watch. I'm like, oh, I didn't catch that last time. Let's go to the... Uh, the okay, allegedly. cool. So, allegedly um, is our segment where we get to kind of make stuff up, but responsibly make stuff up and gossip responsibly. Uh, <laughs> So um, there was this story that broke on July 3rd uh, in tandem with the capture of Ghislaine Maxwell. And this was all very fascinating because there was um, a David Foster documentary that also released on Netflix. And in this documentary, he is saying that, like, no, the he did not leave his ex-wife, Yolanda Hadid, you know, a former Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, um, because of her Lyme disease, right? But he was, like, kind of elusive and mysterious about why he left her. And then it comes out the same night that it seems like Yolanda may have been harboring Ghislaine Maxwell at one point. And so now um, fans have been on the internet going, hmm, did David Foster know about this connection is this maybe why he left Yolanda also it's um alleged that um Yolanda only met David or no not David Foster but her first husband um she was introduced to through Epstein and so this led to this question of how deep into the Epstein Maxwell scenario is Yolanda and then how many other housewives might also have been tangentially involved <laughs> oh my god this is all alleged this there's there are big. some there are some gossipy news articles to back this up mm-hmm. and there's been lots of tweets about this so I felt like it was within our purview to gossip mm-hmm. well let me do a response let me do a gossip responsibly let me throw another wrench in it. And this is a complete allegedly. This is critical fabulation. This is imagination. Let, let's bring it, let's bring it another lens into it. Uh, we, we don't necessarily know what Yolanda's relationship is. Uh, I, I did not know about the connection between Muhammad and Epstein. Is this a true thing, Casey? Um, Muhammad Hadid and Epstein? This was, again, part of that kind of breaking Bravo news, like was Yolanda involved? Um, but it seemed like it was an open secret that she was introduced to Muhammad through Epstein, in which case that was my next question. Like, does Lisa Vanderpump like float in, or did she float at one point in the Epstein world? 
I so here's my we should also say Yolanda has completely denied any connection to uh Galen. And then, yeah. Right. And then Gigi or Bella, one of them got online, I think it was Gigi also saying my mother had no connection. But what I wanna say, this is my badum bump. Um, it doesn't matter. I mean it matters, but it doesn't matter because no one is going to be quote unquote sweating this out more than Prince Andrew. But um, remember, because he said he didn't. Sweat. <laughs> he had a sweaty thing, or, and the the girl said, "No, he sweated." Yeah, he so it doesn't really. Matter. You know, Prince Andrew is going down with the ship. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Prince Andrew, you're going down with the ship. Um, I don't know what, what Jason, Max, what do you think? Allegedly. Well, I would let Max get away with the story. <laughs> 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 Like I'm not touching this hot potato. <laughs> well, you know that's that's going to be my, my my pitch to Bravo to hire me as a producer. Like, yeah, you know, come on, what's, what's wrong with this? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, this web seems like it has gotten bigger and bigger and super complicated. The, it seems like no one in that uh, that group can really escape being tangled in with. Uh, with Epstein or Maxwell, I you know I do. I think I mean Foster's been married a bunch, right? Yeah, his you new wife to- is Catherine McPhee. Yeah, he's like older. Yeah, I yeah. feel right. like she's what about thirty? Well, she's early thirties. Meghan Markle's age, right? Aren't they best? Yeah, he's he's what in the seventies or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. He, yeah. For me, I don't care, right? Are are they consenting adults? Great, I don't care because, like, I I sometimes withdraw from the fact that I say, "Oh, the Leonardo DiCaprio is dating a, a woman who's half his age or whatever." And I I see when people say that at the same time, I'm like, that's kind of taking away from her, you know, her decision making process. She's an adult; she can choose what she who she wants to be with. She wants to be with a guy who's fifty or old or ugly or smart or whatever. That's 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 her decision. It takes away from her agency. And it kinda of drives me nuts when people talk that way, frankly. You know, when it's like, oh, there's so much difference in age. In fact, just this week on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, um, Erica Jane, who's Erica Girardi, married to Tom Girardi from the Aaron Brockovich case. She even was like, yeah, my type is old, rich, and very bald, right? So she is one of these Whatever. women who, who like, right, her husband is twice her age, but she was like, I have a type, and I know I have a type, right? So more power to her. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, but this guy, I'm, you know, uh, Foster is clearly, I don't know, he seems like he, he changes direction every so often for lack of a better expression. So I, I'm a big fan of Occam's razor, right? When you hear a hoof prints, you know, I think horses, not zebras. So he, he this, he, he kind of changes around a lot. That, that would be my, that would be my guess. I wouldn't imagine that there would be any kind of big, uh, Shakespearean, uh, conspiracy behind it. But, that's not as juicy. So I'm going to say, yeah. yes, definitely. She was, she was 100% involved. He knew about it. He helped. Uh, he <laughs> left her to cover up all of these things. And in fact, is soon to get on his alien spacecraft out of Las Vegas. <laughs> the only thing that I found eyebrow raising, 
And again, I haven't really delved that deep into the, uh, uh, yeah, uh, out of the whole Epstein thing, this is the one thing. No, no. I mean, um, in terms of the connections with uh, the Hadids and um, Ghislaine was that I believe what I had seen in the original controversial thread by, I'm forgetting his name. I'm being a really bad historian by not citing the source. Um, but if you type in, I think it's a private detective, um, Twitter uh, into Twitter, you type in a private, uh, private detective, Yolanda, Ghislaine Maxwell, this guy's thread will come up. And the one thing that he showed was that the spot where Ghislaine was allegedly arrested was 11 minutes walking from the Hadid, uh, Yolanda's farmhouse. Like it was a very, it was so close in a very small town, I think in Connecticut. Or yeah, but who wants to walk for 11 minutes? I mean, let's be real. Well, she was arrested, I believe, at a... Uh, Dunkin' Dunk Donuts. Yeah, at Dunkin' Donuts. So she might have been trying to walk off whatever the cream-filled donuts are there. <laughs> the thing that I'm, I'm um, ready for is to hear that Ghislaine Maxwell has died before anything could be um, found out, right? Because they said, oh, now she has COVID. So I'm ready for this next round of conspiracy theories. Yeah. Well, her, her list of who, who's who and what evidence is too long. I mean, just like Epstein, you know, literally knows where the bodies are buried. So yeah. you don't want to wish anything bad to come to anyone. But I mean, I mean, I just, I'm like, I'm waiting for the autopsy to say something totally different from like what's clearly happened. And, you know, I, I think I, I am dabbling in the, in the conspiracy theories around the Epstein murder. This here. is the one conspiracy I've hooked you into. I'm yeah. always throwing out conspiracies to Casey all the time about everything. And she oh, usually does not bite. But this one is like. Right. There's too many powerful people. Yeah. At play. It's too weird. It's such a weird story. Yeah. Anyone I mean, I watch. No, I don't, I don't have anything else to say. I, 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 I'm thinking about my comments about oh, we don't want to wish anything bad on someone. Well, you kind of were like a racist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we had to wish bad on somebody, I mean. Yeah, let me retract my comments and just be like, you made your you made your decisions. Now live in it. We're so, just letting the universe fall where it does, and our, yeah. Yeah, yep. for sure. So yeah, that one that one was a little downer, Casey. Um, <laughs> I like the idea is 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 Vanderpump involved? Then we could get to that could be the the reason her and Kyle really fell out. Well, see, my um, theory was more that um, Lisa never really liked Yolanda because I think Lisa is somebody who wants to like be in these high social circles. So maybe part of it was Lisa was always kind of jealous that she's like, well, I want to be Ghislaine Maxwell's friend. Ugh. Right. Cause you the highest of highest of all elite circles. Ugh. Right. Cause that, that does seem like a Lisa Vanderpump thing to me where she's like, there is an elite circle that I am not as inside as somebody else. And so I'm going to just inherently hate this person because of okay, that. Well, that Lisa, Brandy Glanville, and Ken fight more interesting. That means who was the young person that was living in Lisa's house for a while at the very first part 
the very, very first episode, uh, season. Wasn't his name Cedric? Cedric. Yes. Yes. It is so many questions now, allegedly. <laughs> the questions are alleged also. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure if they exist. So, Jason, uh, tell yes. us what's next for you and what you want people to know about your upcoming work, and how can they get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Uh, well, if you're interested in some of my, my, my work, I've got an article coming out soon in Florida Historical Quarterly about uh, the Alachua Indians in the 1750s and how they used animals to uh, uh, separate themselves, not only from the British, but also from Lower Creek Indians. Uh, but for historians of the movies, every Sunday night, apparently we're going to be doing the dirt very soon. Um, <laughs> so every Sunday, you can follow me. You can find me on Twitter, also on the gram at, at Herbert History, or you can just search for the hashtag, hashtag HATM, or look for historians of the movies.com. We've got a website. You can kind of check out the films we've done, what, uh, the films we've got coming up, or if you're interested in more of my work or how to find other people. Uh, associated either with HATM AUS in Australia or HATM UK in the UK. Um, you can find out more on how to do them. Thank you so much. Are you kidding me? Thank you. This has been a blast. I really enjoyed it. We really appreciate you joining us today. This was amazing. As always, you can find us at historiansonhousewives.com where you can propose your own episode topic, ask us questions, and send us feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Historians H. And don't forget that you can like and review the podcast on your podcast platform. Thank you, Jason Herbert. This show was brought to you with the support by Barbara and Mark Spear, Saddleback Community College, Christina Hinkle, Christina Gambapur, Judd Merlaski, Pete Murray, Yvonne Ballardes, Cody Baker, Molly Callahan, Dr. Joaquin Galarza, Courtney Crow, Lara Loper, and Luis Asio de Dios. And remember, scholars do bravo too. You're going to do it again? Mm-hmm. This time, I just want you to say thank you so much for saying that. This is giving me flashbacks of um, heavyweights where he's just like, just say you like the damn food. (laughs) 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 It's great. It's great. No, just say you like it. (laughs) I I love the food. I love the food. No. God. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.